Father in heaven, today we're thankful that you are, Father, that you are in heaven, and that we can call upon you, and you have promised that if we ask without doubt, you can, can answer. And uh, we don't ask a doubting tonight, we ask for a blessing right now. I ask specifically that you would take me out of the way, and that you would speak to me and through me tonight. I need a word from you, and we need a word from you. And more importantly, this world needs a word from you. So we think of the people that maybe are, are in our circle of influence, who desperately need a word. Give us something from this weekend that we can take to feed your flock and that can awaken interest in those outside the fold. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, again, our subject is First Peter. And it looks like I may have lost one of my microphones here. Not to fear. I... Alright, there you go. First Peter, let's look there together this evening. And uh, look at our assigned text again. And my subject to deal with is faith this evening. Pastor Batchelor talked about diligence, and uh, now we look at faith. So turn with me there in your Bibles to Second Peter, and we'll again remind ourselves of the text this evening. Second Peter. Hope you can see as it's getting dark because we are going to be looking. How many of you brought your Bibles? Uh, I hope you're planning to use those Bibles this evening. Second Peter chapter one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a like precious faith. I wanted to stop right there. You know, in my margin it says they've received the faith. Are you thankful tonight that God in Christ has given us faith? How many of you are thankful for that? Amen. Are you thankful each of us are given a measure of faith? Amen. And how many of you like that measure to increase? Amen. How many of like, you like the disciples in uh, Luke 17 would like to say tonight, Lord, just before we even begin, before we get into it, Lord, increase our faith. Amen. Amen? That's what we need this evening. So, they have obtained a like precious faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Where did we get the faith? From Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Man, isn't that good news? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason. For what reason? 
because of the promises, because of what he's given, and because of what he wants for us. Because this very reason, what does it say? Give all diligence, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and thus forth. So the first thing I want to just notice this evening is the priority, if you will, of faith. Did you notice it there? It says there in the text, adding to your faith. So this whole idea is that faith is already there. It's foundational. If you don't have faith, you don't have anything. Everything in the Christian walk is predicated on faith. Yes or no? Now, uh, at Ohio State University, I was visiting some time ago, and they, uh, they're into what's called postmodernism. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard this word? Not many. And this particular uh, philosophy leads to what they call deconstructionism and recreation of this and that. And they have a house there that's supposedly uh, uh, summarizing the postmodern mindset, that everything is deconstructed and reconstructed. And this house is a bizarre house. It has windows that open to nothing. It has stairways that lead nowhere. And it is kind of kind of like a Ripley's Believe It or Not house. I mean, when we see one of these houses, it looks like it's going to fall over. It's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa times six. And uh, this supposedly is a metaphor for what the world really is. There's nothing we really can place our faith in. Now, uh, I'm trying to remember the apologist's name who visited this house very famous author where I read the story and since I wasn't planning to talk about the story I didn't put down the citation but this particular author visited the house and as he walked around the tour guide was waxing eloquent on how we can't know anything we can't have faith in anything and all of the sciences and everybody is 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 looking at every piece of truth and they're saying well maybe it's not true do we live in an age like that today and this particular apologist said, you haven't shown us the foundation yet. To which the tour guide said, well, uh, it's just like any other normal foundation. What do you mean? It's, it's not different? It doesn't lead to nowhere? No, it's, it's normal. You see, you can't even be weird without faith. Can you say amen? You, you can't even be postmodern without faith. Amen? And in the text here tonight, it says, adding to your faith virtue and thus forth. In other words, it, it's, it's the starting block. Romans chapter 12 says, each of us is given a measure of faith. Can you say hallelujah to that? There's a foundation. There's something to begin with, even with the most desperate soul here tonight, or the most desperate person you know, there still is this foundation of faith that God in Christ has given us. Hallelujah. And as we come to know Him, through the knowledge of Him, it says, that faith will grow, it will, it, it, it will flourish, and all of these things will come mentioned here in Peter. Now, I commend you for this year's theme. 
this text was, this passage was one of Ellen White's favorite passages. In fact, recently I was visiting Elmshaven, and there in one of the bedrooms, I think where she saw an angel, there's a Bible, or I don't remember exactly what it was, and right there is this passage, and it says there this was one of her most favorite passages. She would talk about this again and again. Because it's so important. Notice what she says about it before we then look closer at the subject of faith. The apostles' words were written for the instruction of believers in every age. And they have a special significance for those who live at the time when the end of all things is at hand. His exhortations and warnings, his words of faith and courage are needed by every soul who would maintain his faith steadfast to the end. Can you say hallelujah to that? So in other words, this particular passage is important, not just back then, but here and now. Now that phrase, maintain his faith steadfast to the end. In the letters of Peter, the 1st Peter and 2nd Peter, Peter mentions four different types of faith, or four stages of faith. Did you realize that? In 1st Peter chapter 1, he talks about, well, let's just look at it. I'll show it to you. I've thought about it a little bit, maybe longer than you have, so I'm assuming you might know what it says, but let me just look at it with you. First, first Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says there, picking up in verse 3, Who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So the first kind of faith that you see pictured there is the promise of faith. It's an aspect. He's saying, look, there's something in heaven. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's reserved for you. How many of you have ever been to heaven? Okay. So you've never seen this, yes or no? But you accept it by what? And so the promise of faith, he starts out with the promise of faith. And he says, look, it's a priority we learned in Second Peter, but the, it's a priority because of the promise of faith. There is, there is something for you that's incorrupted, it's undefiled, it's in heaven. How many of you want something like that? Is that what the world needs? And then, of course, it says in verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So in other words, we're kept for this great promise. We're kept through faith. Oh, thank the Lord that we're kept for that promise, and that promise is kept for us. Hallelujah. And who is it that keeps us? We've already learned. It is the faith of who? The faith of Jesus. Can you say hallelujah to that? How many think that's sure? Yeah, goodness. You know, we live in a time when people don't live by faith so much. They live by feeling. How many of you have ever 
been the recipient of someone whose feelings changed towards you. Well, I used to like you, but uh, I don't have those same feelings anymore. Well, we've never been through that. Unfortunately, when I was growing up, I was about some of your ages, uh, there was this thing called dating. How many of you ever heard of it? <laughs> kind of dates me to even ask that question. And uh, this thing called dating was pretty harsh on me. <clears throat> Thank you. Oh, and I guess my voice is harsh on you, so get me some water. <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much. And I can remember the uh, being sent away to an academy. My parents, I think, were relieved to see me go in some ways. And I can tell you why, but that's too long. And I, that was the last thing I was interested in were people of the opposite sex, and they were not interested in me. Thank the Lord. <laughs> until about two years after I was there and then there was this young lady who actually pursued me you would call her a stalker <laughs> today back then you would just call her a stalker and she was coming after me she dropped the balloon down from the above you know saying that I was supposed to go to some kind of banquet with her I had no interest in such things, but she came after me, and she, she gave me all kinds of things. She gave me a Vegelink sandwich. <laughs> she gave me some extra peanut butter. But what really clinched it was she gave me her coat. I was smaller than she was, <laughs> so it worked out pretty good, and... After all that, my heart, my young heart, which had never beat that way before, began to beat in ways that the book of Ecclesiastes says it shouldn't be. Do not awaken love before it's time, it says. There's a lot of wisdom in that book, amen? And then, as soon as my heart began to beat that way, I know you're going to feel sorry for me. We went on a bus trip with the choir. And there was another young man on the bus who took a liking to this young lady. And at the, I mean, it was instantaneous. She was giving me peanut butter when we got on the bus. And when we got off the bus, she said, I don't feel that way about you anymore. You can say, oh, poor God. It's okay. I'm happily married, and I'm glad I'm not married to that person. I saw them last week at camp meeting in a state not too far from here, and I was just rejoicing and praising God. <laughs> Let's not miss the point, though, that people live by feelings, unfortunately, and not by faith. How many of you are with me on this? Amen. And that sounds like a funny story, but when somebody who is committed then has kids, or they, they're, they're, they're kind of, it's a little more serious than the gerbil love of academy, or puppy love, or whatever you want to call it, 
which shouldn't even be dabbled in, I might suggest. I hope my kids never go through that. I don't know. What, why would you have a banquet and tell kids to do that? I don't know. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply. We don't have to help the process. It's going to happen, right? You don't have to. Anyway, they have all the rationale. But I just, I, just, I just don't really think it works. I was damaged so much by that. It happened again and again. I know. You can tell why. But anyway. When this happens a little bit older, does this happen? How many of you have ever had your parents divorce? How many of you have ever known someone who's going through that? And that's not funny, is it? I don't feel like I love you anymore. Does that make sense to the five-year-old and the three-year-old and the two-year-old who are crying there? Oh, I just don't feel that way. So people move by feelings, not by faith. And the devil especially attacks us when we're feeling this way or we're feeling that way. He studies our feelings. He wants us to move by feelings, not by facts, not by faith. The title for this weekend is Be Like Jesus. and So maybe we should look at the example of Christ and His faith tonight. How many think that would be a good idea? I mean, I was going to go through Peter, but I, I feel impressed. We'll look to Jesus. Look there in Matthew, then chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at it together. And in Matthew chapter 3, let's look at, at some of the ups and downs in Christ's feelings and how he overcame those ups and downs to live by faith. Because if we don't have this foundational principle, we'll never have anything else this weekend. Matthew chapter 3, you remember it. Jesus was going to be baptized. There at the end of the chapter... Jesus came, verse 13, from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized of him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? Uh, how would you feel if someone said that to you? I mean, humanly speaking. You come to get baptized, and they say, no, you baptize me. How do you think that would feel pretty good? I mean, humanly speaking. Come on now. This guy is saying, I need to be baptized by you. And then Jesus gets baptized. And I'm not trying to be anything but tell you what the Bible says. But a voice comes from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. How many of you think that might boost you a little bit? Are you guys alive? How many of you think that might boost you a little bit? By the way, Jesus does say that when you get back. Did you know that? Ellen White says you're accepted in the beloved. And it's just as though he says it to you. Amen? Amen. So anyway, don't, don't get me off. So he's feeling up. If we were going by feeling. Do you think Jesus had feeling? All right. Let's see what you think. So humanly speaking, he's up. He's up. Well, 40 days later, Jesus was probably feeling very down. You remember the story? What happened? 
He was in the wilderness for 40 days, and it says that he felt what? Hungry. Is hunger a feeling? <laughs> Is it a fact? <laughs> yes. Can it sometimes be a feeling but not a fact? All right. A couple questions, some amazing facts there for you. So he was hungry. And when you feel hungry, what do you want to do? Yeah, you want to eat. You know, in America today, there's lots of people that eat. They eat a lot more than maybe they even should, isn't that right? Skyrocketing problem. And many times it's because they're not going by the facts of what they need, but by the feelings. And the marketers look there and they say, look, we'll make them feel this way and that way, and then they'll do that and they'll do this. And then on the basis of feeling, they'll buy our product. And who cares what happens to them? In the last 30, 40 years, if I had slides to show you, I could show you the CDC. I would never see no slides from the CDC that show like no or less than 10% obesity, but now the entire country is just ballooning. And this is in the last 30, 40 years. Look, people are saying if something isn't done, everybody's going to just die. Why? Because they're living by what? Feelings, not by faith. Now, you might say, well, Jesus was uh, up, and then he was down, his feelings were up and down. How did he get into this predicament? I mean, was it a mistake? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, it says, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. So who was it that led him into this experience of having his feelings go down once they were up? The what? What spirit? The Holy Spirit led it. Why in the world would the Holy Spirit do that? Why? Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. And we'll see the answer why. What's the answer? You probably already know that text. Do you know it from memory? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest who cannot be touched... With the, what's it say next? The feelings of our what? Of our infirmities. Can you say hallelujah? Not just with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Hallelujah? So the reason that the Spirit led him into the wilderness and let him get, get that feeling of feeling down and hungry after being so up was so that he could identify with us. I am thankful for a Savior who can identify with me. Who was in all points tempted. Amen? That's the reason. The reason he was tempted like that, went through these ups and downs, was so he could teach us how to deal with fear. So now I want to cover several principles. I'll keep going until I lose you. I'll know when I lose you too. Because we could go on forever here on this subject. Principle number one. The devil is a master at playing on our feelings. We've already seen that in the temptations of Christ. Notice the first temptation. What does he say there in the first temptation going back to Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4. 
Look there together in the text. Matthew chapter. Oh, I'm in Mark. Doesn't look the same. Looked good though. I told a new sermon coming on. All right. Mark chapter 4. First temptation there. Verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If, if, that's enough right there. If, what does the word if mean? Doubt. He was saying if to the Savior, and if the Savior would have fallen in that, what would have happened to his faith? It would have turned to what? Doubt. What's it say in James chapter 1? Keep your finger there. James chapter 1. Hebrews. James. I want you to cut and consider this. James chapter 1. James speaking. If anyone lacks wisdom, verse 3, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no Wavering. What's wavering? Doubting. Doubting. I have this saying, don't waffle. Because waffles get eaten. Is that a good saying? Do not waffle. I don't care if they put syrup on top of it, don't waffle. If they put syrup on top of it, you will get eaten first. Amen? So there's doubt. That's the opposite of faith. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me ask you a question. Are you doubting something tonight? So many times we doubt things we shouldn't doubt. God's revealed things in His will to us. I, I have sometimes people come up to me and say, Well, I've been married, and I'm married now, but I, I don't know if this one's the right one. <laughs> That's a little late. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. But that troubles me. If someone says that, I, I, I just say, Let's pray right now. Because if they're doubting like that, they've lost their fidelity, their faith. Are you with me? And so when the tempter came and said, If! What was the tempter doing? Attacking the faith of Jesus. How many are thankful that he didn't lose it? And he has it to give to us today. <laughs> the devil came and said if if you are the son of God turn these stones into bread whoa what's the second feeling we see in the temptation the feeling of what hunger there's this mental feeling and then there's this physical feeling the devil is playing mentally emotionally and physically on Jesus does he do that today
So principle number one, the devil is a master at playing on our feelings. He usually doesn't just play on us mentally. He plays on us also physically and emotionally at the same time. He will hit us three or four different ways with the eyes, with the ears, with the anything he can use. And he is always attacking our faith. And he does it through feeling. That's principle number one. I once knew a Jamaican man. He told me about his wife, how much he loved her. He told me about how when he was young, he didn't understand love. He said to me, hot love no good for a man. But what are you talking about? He says, you need the love that grows. I never understood that until I understood it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we think, man, that's that's something I want. And we don't know what we're talking about. We need the love that grows. Are you with me? We need a love that grows. So number one, the devil is a master at playing on feelings. And he might be playing on your feelings. He especially plays on feelings of people that are in the teen years. And he does it sometimes through music. I ask people, why are you listening to that music? Because I feel good. <laughs> There's even a song that went like that when I was growing up. I feel good, just like I should. So the devil plays on that. Number two, and this is good news, even though the devil plays on that, number two, overcoming power is found in the Word of God. Why is this? Well, John chapter 6 and verse 63 says this. Look at it with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm trying to go slow enough that you might take a few notes. John 6.63, I think these things could save your life. John 6.63, there were all these people in John chapter 6 who were just moving because of hunger. They liked the 5,000. They liked the 5,000 meals that had been handed out. And they came back for some more. And then Jesus said, look, you need to move, move not just on the feeling of hunger, but on faith in me. I am the living bread. And they didn't like it. And finally he explained to them, verse 63, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And then the disciples followed him. Peter, there he is, the one that's writing about faith. He goes, he says, you are the Christ. We have come to believe that you have the words of eternal life. Peter was moving. He was growing from, from just being uh, actuated by the feelings of hunger to being actuated by the faith that comes from the Word of God. Do we need to move that way? That's why I love the evangelistic message of Advent. I love the fact that it not only tells you about the faith of Jesus, but it applies it to what you eat. Can you say amen? amen. 
if you tell someone no more Miss Piggy, and they say, I'm not giving up Miss Piggy, you know they don't have a deep faith. Amen? I'm even thankful for that part of the message. It deepens us, doesn't it? Right. So the overcoming power of the Word, the Word, in the Word, what did we learn in that text? Your words are what? Spirit, and they are life. So when we listen to the Word, we read the Word, the Spirit gets into us. And when the Spirit gets into us, He can get us out of the problems with feeling. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says that faith is a gift of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And it goes on and on. And then it says what? Faithfulness. If you want faith, read the Word. Meditate on the Word. And when you do that, what does it say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3? That measure of faith springs up. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says... Faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the what? The Word of God. And by the way, faith diminishes us if we're not hearing the Word of God. You know, I just started working an amazing fact about eight months ago. And uh, it's been kind of a disaster for me. <laughs> Doug Bassworth still here? <laughs> I'll tell you what I mean. I used to preach five times a week. I miss preaching five times a week. Not just for the people, but it helped me. When you're witnessing, when you're sharing your faith, when you're preaching, when you're teaching, it helps you. Because you hear the word yourself. Uh, it's gotten better. I've gotten into a new groove. Now I'm teaching. <laughs> uh, my students, some of them are here tonight. kind of makes me nervous. Graduates from AFCO. One guy came to me before the sermon. He says, I have my evaluation form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, we haven't sent the grades in yet. So wherever you are... Did you get my point? When we share, it deepens our faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Look at another text here. Then we're going to look at an interesting concept. 1 John chapter 5, and verse 4. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. So when we have the Word and the Spirit comes into us, faith grows up. And when faith grows up, we have the victory. Hallelujah. By the way, Jesus is the Word. So it's another way to say when we have Jesus in our life, we're going to have victory. Over the feelings and then we'll move by faith. And by the way, lest you miss it, just like I mentioned, this is not your faith. It is God's faith. 
write down this text if you have any questions. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Have faith in God. Literally translated there, have the faith of God. He wants to give it to you through the Spirit. He wants to give you Jesus. And that's why this movement, the remnant movement, claims as its text and for years had on front of the signs of the times, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. Turn it backwards. The faith of Jesus, something given to us by the Spirit, leads us to obedience to the faith. That's keeping the commandments in the context of patient endurance. Can you say amen? Amen. The faith of Jesus. And this is why the disciples said, Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Luke 17, 5. Here's a little quote that I don't know if you can read because I wrote it with my own handwriting. No man can create faith. The spirit operating and enlightening the human mind creates faith. In God. You can't create faith. It's not something you manufacture. It might be something you have, but it's not something you develop in a sense. Or you didn't you didn't even you didn't start the process. You might foster the process by allowing it to grow. How many of you are with me? I think that's important because sometimes, how many of you have ever, ever done this? Well, look, I've got to increase my faith. I've got to be more godly. I've got to do this. I'm going to do that. And we just, oh, and then our promises fall like ropes of, of sand, we're told. You know why? Because we don't know who it is that, that we need and who it is that can, can give those things to us. We need Jesus. Amen. I need Jesus. Ever since being a parent, by the way, some of you have not been parents yet, right? For which I'm very thankful. <laughs> not that I have anything against you, but you simply wouldn't know what you're doing. But once you are a parent, you need Jesus a lot more. I got three. Jesus meter manufacturers in here. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky, and smelty. Actually, Malcolm, Elizabeth, and Catherine. Oh, I look at them in the morning, and I look at them throughout the day. I look at them in the evening, and I say, Lord, please help me to represent you to them. You don't have much to work with, Lord, but please, please, increase my faith. So, we've built up to something. Overcoming power is found in the Word of God. Why is this? Because the Spirit's there. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. We're given a measure of faith. When we hear the Word, our faith grows, and then we have this victory that comes. But it's not our faith. It's God's faith. It's the faith of Jesus. And that's why the disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith. That's a summary. <laughs> and so when Jesus was in, in the wilderness, what did He do? Jesus was in the wilderness, and there he was. Go back with me to Mark, or rather Matthew chapter 4. What did he do when he was tempted? And why did he do it? It seems so simple, 
Bharatnat. When the devil came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be bread, he answered and said what? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. I'm not going to go for that feeling. I don't need that. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Can you say amen to that? Now why did he do that? I'm going to tell you something. I believe Jesus quoted God's word not just because he was an expert debater, but because he needed God's word himself. And when he quoted God's word, when he said, it is written, and he began quoting the word, it increased his faith. Is that heresy? No, because he was touched with the feelings of infirmities like us. And as he quoted the word, his faith was bolstered in his humanity. And he was able to overcome the temptation. Let me give you some proof of that. John chapter 8, verse 28. Jesus said unto them, John chapter 8 and verse 28. You might want to write this down. Then Jesus said unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father has taught Me, I speak these things. Do you see what He's saying there? Anything I say... Anything I do, I got it from my Father. You know, we'd always say this, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Right? What did that mean? That was like a quotation mark. It meant that he was quoting God's Word. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He's quoting God's Word. And he grew in faith. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus dealt with the facts, not the feeling. Now, are feelings bad? It almost sounds like I'm saying feelings are bad. Well, they can be bad. Which we kind of touched on that today. But are they bad? No. You see, the problem with feelings is related to thoughts. And like tells us, and the Bible is clear as well, if the thoughts are right, then the feelings will be right. And the thoughts and the feelings make up the care. So, if, I mean, it's good to have good feelings. There's nothing wrong with that. But good feelings are related to good thoughts. And good thoughts, you can't go wrong with God's Word. Feeling is not faith, early writings, page 72. Feeling is not faith, however. The two are separate and distinct. Now Jesus, as he was quoting God's word, says in Science of the Times, January 16, 1896, Through the victory of Christ, the same advantages that he had are provided for man. Did you catch that? Let me read that again. I should have heard an amen there. I mean, I'm not telling you what to say, but the thoughts are right, the feelings will be right, and then you'll say amen, all right? <laughs> Through the victory of Christ, the same advantages that he had are provided for man. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I'm, when I first read that, I went, hallelujah. 
Watch. He, that is you and I, may be a partaker of a power out of and above himself. He may even be a partaker of the divine nature by which he may overcome the corruption that is in the world through love. So what do we learn tonight? We've just touched the edge of faith. We've seen that it's a gift from God. It's from Jesus. We've seen that it's under attack. The devil tries to get us to go by feelings instead of faith. But if we follow Christ's example, he's been tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And if we, we look to his word and we meditate on it, we can partake of the same victory that he had. Jesus had this victory all kinds of times. Remember the time that he was on the storm? Everybody else felt like they were lost. And there in the middle of that storm, when Jesus awakened, it says, Desire of Ages, page 336, to meet the storm, he was in perfect peace. There was no trace of fear in word or look, for no fear was in his heart. He rested not in the possession, but, listen to this, he rested not in the possession of almighty power. What? Well, I was, you were just thinking, well, if I had almighty power, I wouldn't have been afraid of the storm either. Weren't you thinking that? But it says here, servant of the Lord, but he rested not in the possession of almighty power. Whew. Well, what did he have then? It was not as the master of earth and sea and sky that he reposed in quiet. That power he had laid down. He says, I can of my own self do nothing. Jesus was resting in the Father's might. Now when you read the story the next time, is it going to be more meaningful? It wasn't in His divine power. It was in the same kind of peaceful, restful power you and I can have. It was faith, she goes on, Desire of Ages 3.36. Faith in God's love and care that Jesus rested. And the power of that word which stilled the storm was the power of God. And Jesus rested by faith in the Father's care. And so are we to rest in the care of our Savior. You see, we live in an age, young people, where people do not feel satisfied with religion unless they have a powerful and happy time. They work to get this. And they get up an excitement of feelings, we're told. And we were told this would happen. The influence of such meetings is not beneficial, for when the happy flight of feeling is gone, they sink lower than before the meeting. Why? Because their happiness did not come from the right source. And then she closes this way in this particular statement. Fourth volume of Spiritual Gifts, page 152. The most profitable meetings for spiritual advancement are those which are characterized with solemnity and deep searching of heart, each seeking to know himself and earnestly and in deep humility seeking to learn of Christ. Now, if you've bought into this so far, and 
and you decide, well, look, I've been moved by feeling that has been generated by the wrong kind of thoughts, but I don't want to do that anymore. You know what you're about ready to do? Fight the good fight of faith. There is going to be a fight. If you're in a church that has music and worship and whatever that is designed to get up a height of feelings, just so you can kind of know, if you decide to go there and take the drum set out and the guitars, you're going to be fighting the fight of faith. I remember with sadness when I was at a camp meeting speaking a couple of years ago, and there was a tent on the campground that literally looked like it was moving because the music was so loud, and there was an old tithe-paying saint who was hard of hearing. He had two hearing aids in, and he even heard it. And he came to me and he said, what is that noise? I said, I think it's the sound of war in the camp. <laughs> and he knew the scripture. And he goes, where is that? He just heard it vibrate. And so I showed it. It's over there. That dear old saint went over there. He went inside. He came out and he looked ashen. And he told me, that must stop. He went in and tried to stop it. And the security officers carried him away. And as he was being carried away, I felt so sad. We live in a time when everything that we have stood for as a church is under attack. I'm so thankful for GYC and for WYC. I'm thankful when I see you here tonight. I don't know all the answers for music. I don't know the answers for that. That's not what I'm suggesting. I think even the best of our music, probably the angels go, <laughs> please take that out of here. I'm looking forward to them tuning up my drums, my ear drums in heaven. Amen. Amen. So, you know, sometimes people are moving along no matter what they're doing. But if you get serious about this, you're going to be involved in, a, in, in the fight of faith. And in Peter's epistle, in his letter, you know what he says? If you want to know if you have really the genuine faith, notice what he says. Let me show you. And then I want to close with just a couple stories tonight because I could go forever on the subject of faith. What a wonderful subject. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
There's the promised faith in verse 2 and 3 of the heavenly reward. And then there's the power of the gospel that helps us keep that faith in verse 5, which we've been studying as we've looked at the faith of Jesus, who are kept by the power of God through faith. That's the gospel. God was under, or Jesus was under the influence of the Spirit. He was moved by the Spirit. He was the gospel. He he lived the gospel. He was kept by the power of God. We can be too. That's what we've been learning. Amen. Amen. For the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But then notice this, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. What happens if you have the faith of Jesus? You're going to be grieved by what? Various trials. And why is this? Because it needs to happen. Do you like that word needs to happen? So what I'm suggesting is if you're having problems in your church, or if you're having problems in your walk, or you're looking at other people and there's people in the church you don't think are like Jesus, these could be directly sent to help you. Even if it's your pastor. Amen? Amen. I have been helpful to many people as a pastor. <laughs> I have been their special annoyance. Ellen White calls them special annoyances. <laughs> and saints have been helpful to me. But notice what happens. What needs to happen? That, verse 7, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What we need today is not just an intellectual ascending of the understanding of the faith of Jesus and all the warm fuzzies that maybe go with that. We need a faith that can be tested and can be tried and can come forth as gold tried in the fire. Amen. I wish I had time, but I give you an assignment in that little journal I suggested to you. I have pages here. I called it Gripping Faith. Stripping faith and equipping faith. In the in Peter's writings here, you can see these 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 parts of faith that will strip you. They're called grievous trials. They're called the same sufferings that are experienced. It says by the brotherhood worldwide, fiery trials. Those that speak evil of you, bosses who are harsh towards you, those who suffer wrongly, grief for conscience to God. Those who do good for others and suffer it. Those who are reviled. Those who are recipients of evil and reviling. Those that suffer for righteousness sake. Those who are threatened. Those who suffer for the sins of others. Jesus did this, but we can too. Those who suffered in the flesh. Are you identifying with any of these? Those who have evil spoken of them. All of these Peter mentions, as he says, these are needful for who? For you, that you might know that the genuineness of your faith, or that your faith is truly genuine. Does that give you a new perspective on the things you're going through? There is no temptation that is given to men. It's common to men. God will find a way to escape from it. Do you trust the sovereignty of God? How many of you trust that? Now, the Bible says, lead us not into temptation as well. Sometimes you've got to leave, <laughs> but you better have a word from the Lord. Notice what it says. 
And when we get ready to have faith, we get ready for a fight. The genuineness of our faith gets tested. Notice what it says, Ministry of Healing, page 470. Many who sincerely consecrate their lives to God's service are surprised and disappointed to find themselves, as never before, confronted by obstacles beset by trials and perplexities. They pray for Christ's likeness of character, for a fitness for the Lord's work, and they're placed in circumstances that seem to call forth all the evil of their nature. How many have ever been there? Faults are revealed of which they didn't even suspect existing. <laughs> and like Israel hold, they question, if God is leading us, why do all these things come upon How many can see the issue there? Well, what's the issue? Why is this happening? Ministry failing, page 471. It is because God is leading them that these things come upon them. Trials and obstacles are God's chosen methods of discipline and His appointed conditions for success. You don't like your little sister? She bugs you? She's God's special anointing. You don't like your brother? God has sent him to you. You know, I see this played out in my house every day. Daddy! She, this was today. Daddy, she took the pictures. And those are my pictures. I said, actually, they're not. They're my pictures. <laughs> Daddy, you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret. If you acted like it didn't bother you, your sister wouldn't do it anymore. I'm going to try that. It worked. What's she learning? Patience. Through trial. We need to learn the same thing. I want to just close with a comment about what God does to increase our faith. I believe the trials are God's special means of increasing our faith. In the book of Hebrews, we have all these heroes of faith, but many times we don't talk about the last few verses of Hebrews, the faith chapter, where it talks about those who were sawn in two and those who walked about as vagabonds. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 through 40, write it down and read it later. What's harder, to die for the Lord or to suffer through a bout of terrible pain rendering cancer? What's more needful for the Lord, to be like Elijah on the mountainside or like Job in the valley? I want to suggest to you that if you suffer well, God opens up all kinds of witnessing opportunities for you. If you treat that husband like he should be treated, even though he's never treated you the same, you might save that husband. If you treat that brother like... Balaam's donkey treated Balaam. You might even have better results than Balaam's donkey did. Are you with me? And I'm going to say to you that if you suffer well, you will have no problems with Vistas will open up. And Peter, you make it, it's very clear if you study both of the chapters. 
You see, the Lord would have you trust in His love and mercy amid clouds and darkness, as well as in sub sunshine. Testimonies, Volume 2, page 274-7. And He wants an honor God that can demonstrate pure faith, pure faith, over and against feelings that are sent from the devil. Of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings, which is what Peter talks about again and again, is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. Ministry of Healing, page 470. I want to just close with a story from the uh, Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. We just finished the first session. I, I've been the director there. And we had a great class. Some of our class members are here tonight. We have about 35 people in our class. And they were a lean, mean, witnessing machine. <laughs> they uh, came together in unity, and we just had a wonderful time. But we had one of God's honor guards in our class. I think it's the first time ever that someone died while attending AFCO. He was a young man whose name was Cass, and I still remember the first time I received the call that he wanted to come to AFCO. I looked over his sheet, and on his sheet it said that he had a brain tumor, and he had those removed, but that he still would like to attend because it looked like he was in, that brain tumor was in remission. I looked it over and having been a, in the medical field for some time before I was in the ministry, I thought this is not good and so I said, no, we can't accept it. He received word of that and he began to call us like that widow who wouldn't let go with prayer. I think that he had a speed dial on his phone. It's Cass on line three. It's Cass on line four. It's Cass on... How can he be on three lines at once sometimes? And he began to call back and play. He was what I thought was a very special annoyance that was maybe losing the word special. I had several friends talk to him. I said, look, man, you can't come. You need to get your immunity built up. He says, my immunity will be built up by sharing God's word. You should know that. You work in Amazing Facts. I said, I don't think you're going to make it. Well, you must work for Amazing Opinions. That's an opinion. That's not a fact. <laughs> and who is this guy? And he just kept going. He just kept going. Then he got my cell phone. <laughs> Literally day and night. I put it on silent. And I felt guilty. Six messages. Call me back. Call me back. I don't have much time. Even if I have cancer, I want to work for the Lord. Finally, in the office with Richard Calderon, my assistant, he calls. And I went into Richard's office. I said, what do we do? He said, let's let him come. <laughs> so he came to Acto. You know, it's a good thing to hang around people who think they don't have much time to live. How do you know you have much time? 
When he came, I got to tell you, I had, when Cass came to Amazing Facts, I kind of had an attitude. My heart wasn't quite right. But he came right into my room. Because of the chemo and stuff, he had lost the ability to really see well out of one eye. So he had a patch over his eye, and he had this tie on that had Mickey Mouse on it. I said, oh, Lord, please. But he came right in and he goes, hey, man, thanks for taking my call. <laughs> it is so good to see you. Comes to give me a hug. I gave him a stiff hug. Kind of an Al Gore hug, you know. And uh, he went out of the room. Every day come in, he gets a little early, he goes, hi, Pastor Merrick, how you doing? And he's there, he's there early. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing well. And it didn't change. He was always happy. Isn't that right, Jordan? He was just happy. I said, this guy is happy. And even though he's been sick, he's happy. He had a cane. Couldn't walk so well. We said, you got to go out door to door. You think you can handle that? He goes, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all over that. I'm going. And he would go out door to door with his partner. His partner looked at him at first when he came into his room. He said, that's my partner? Came to me privately and said, maybe he could work with someone else. But they kept going door to door. Knocking. One day it rained. Weather was inclement. And his partner and somebody else said, maybe we should go out. He goes, I don't have much time to live, maybe. I don't know if this cancer is going to come back or not. I want to go. So they weren't. I went away on a little trip to uh, work with a physician friend of mine at a seminar he was leading. Just before I left, I could remember it. I was at the Lincoln Church just down the road, and Cass had come, and one of my friends had, had come. Actually, two physicians had come that weekend that I knew. And Cass had come to me and he said, Look, can I talk to your physician friends? Because I have a little sense of pain in my head. And I thought, well, my, I don't know what that is, but kind of dismissed it. He talked to them, and they said, you need to get with your, your doctor. He didn't do that. I went away for a couple weeks, got a phone call from my outreach coordinator, Tyler, and he said, Don Cass is really having some problems. He his head's really hurting. What should he do? I said, he needs to go get checked out. He went and got checked out. And what they saw were there were three brain tumors all coming back in his head. And they were growing rapidly. They could see it right there. So Cass called me up on the phone and he said, uh, what do you think I should do? I said, well, what do you want to do, Cass? He goes, I want to stay here. I want to keep witnessing for the Lord. I said, well, maybe they can help you out. He goes, I don't know. I've been through this chemo stuff and all that. I just want to, I want to go out with the Lord. If I'm going to go out, if he heals me, I'm going to be healed. Finally, he got talked into going down south, California. Sure enough, he got checked out, and those tumors were rapidly going down his brainstem. The entire class was following this very closely because 
task had reached the hearts of lots of people. In fact, as he'd been going out, it had been harder and harder for him to go out. But he wasn't going by feeling. He was going by faith in God. And he would have that courage. And when he would go to people's door, somehow they're listening to this guy who's almost ready to die. And he was talking to his roommate one day. He says, you know, they'd stay up at nights and talk to the room. They told me this later. You know, when the time of trouble comes, I don't know if I'm still going to be here, but if I'm here, I believe Jesus is coming soon. And when the time of trouble comes, I don't think I can make it to the caves. And I'm wondering what I'm going to do. So his roommate said, well, I'll help you to the cave. I'll help you. Oh, I'm so thankful, man. Thank you very much. Are you, are you good with that? Are you really going to help me? Because I, I, I want to get to the cave. And then he said this. He says, uh, well, if I don't make it to the cave, then will you meet me in the clouds? If I don't make it to the cave, will you meet me in the clouds? How many think that's a good model? He was moving by faith. Not by fear. Do we need that faith? I remember the last phone call I got from him. He called me up. He now is in the hospital bed. Some of the students had gone down to visit and come back. And it was getting worse. He now could not even move. Because it was going down his brainstem. And he was there in the hospital bed. And I'm on the phone with him. And he goes, Hey, Pastor Don, you're not going to believe it. But this nurse I've been talking to, she's going to take studies. I said, that's great, Chad. Just a minute, here she is. Talking to her. <laughs> and my surgeon, the other guys, they're coming in every day. I'm talking with them. He's like, you're asking for something. You are? Yeah. He goes, look, look, I don't have much time. Have you covered anything else at AFCO? Could you send it down? I need whatever I can get. I've got a lot going on here. <laughs> now, he was in terrible pain. You understand. And he had been for the last month of his life. But he said, I don't care about the pain. I want to uplift Jesus. When you have an experience that moves by faith and not by feeling, it's no problem to witness. Cass finally lost his ability to do anything except sit right there and talk and summon in it. Have his cell phone up to his mouth. 28 years old. Two-year-old son. His wife had left him because he had gotten problems, had brain surgery the first time, and she didn't like how that felt. But when she saw how he was acting and how faithful he was, she came back to the bedside. Hallelujah. He literally witnessed to his last breath. 
Where did he get that thing? Where did he get that thing? Was it his faith? It was, but it was given to him by him. When I saw what he went through, I realized I don't even have faith. Have you ever felt that way? I realized I didn't have the experience I needed to see. And I remember kneeling down, telling my wife, I told my wife just what I told you, we were crying. And I said, honey, I want to have the faith that cast that. Faith in Jesus. How many of you tonight want to have that kind of faith? Amen. You can't have anything else unless you have it. But if the Spirit comes into your life and God lays that foundation of faith, there's nothing the devil can do. I dare say the cast will witness though being dead for a good long time. Great is thy faith, O God my Father. There is no shadow turning me. Thou changest not. Thy compassion say fair. As thou hast been, thou forever shalt be. Great is thy faith. Great is thy faith. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this encampment. More importantly, we're thankful for the faith of Jesus. We ask tonight that we could have more of that faith. We don't deserve it, but you want to give it. We don't understand your love, but we want to respond to it. Your faith finds an answering cord within the faith, the measure of faith you've given us, and our hearts spring up. And tonight we just want to say, we love you. And if we don't meet you in the cave, we want to meet you in the fire. And we thank you. And we praise your name. And we come in Jesus all powerful. Amen. And amen.